Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM, let's create. It's not that you didn't want to stay with your mom, but... You, you had some hard times when I left, and I, I know that. And yeah, it, was, it was hard for me. I mean, I, I would get in my car, and I, would, I almost broke my hand a couple of times <laughs> hitting the steering wheel. You know, it was, it was really difficult for me. But you, I, had, I had to do that um, because I knew that if I didn't do it the right way, then I was going to hear about it. And because there is a right way or a wrong way of doing it. Because eventually you did get used to it, I guess. I mean, you, you had to. There was, there, was no, there was nothing else that we could do. And this is the reason why, hey, you want to coach basketball? Hell yeah, I'm going to coach basketball. You want to be a, a, a coach for, uh, for baseball? Of course I'm going to be the third base coach for baseball. Of course I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Of course, someone, you want to go on vacation? Of course, you can stay with me for, you know, a week and a half or whatever. It was always, I was always open to anything and everything. I, I didn't care. There was no, like, it had to be that way because there is no other way. In order for you to grow up in a situation where it was normal, as normal as it could possibly be. And that was my dad. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, uh, we have somehow made it to a hundred episodes of this podcast. Uh, I figured we would always make it to 100, but you never know. These things take a lot of time and energy, 
And uh, this week on the show, my dad came on. You know, this was always going to happen since my mom came on at 50, but I should say, since the beginning of this year, my dad and I have had a conversation on the phone, I'd say once every couple weeks, about his appearance on this show. It's not something he really wanted to do, and in fact, we have been putting it off for the last month. (laughs) Um, You know, oddly enough, he has been one of the harder guests to book. He's a very private person, and um, the only reason he agreed to do this is because I am his son, I am his only son, and I sort of guilted him into coming on here. Anyway, I don't want to spoil what we talk about. Um, It is a very long conversation. Um, We have cut it down to the best of our ability, but my dad, once he gets on a roll, can tell a story better than anyone I know, so we let him tell a few stories. Since this is episode 100, I want to thank at the top um, everyone who has listened to this show over the last two years over the last 100 episodes. um, I probably don't say this enough on here, but uh, the support we receive week after week for this podcast is definitely, I'd say, the major primary reason I keep doing this podcast. And like anyone, once you approach a landmark like 100 episodes, I think uh, you have to take stock of what you've done and and what you want to do, or rather, if you want to continue doing what you've been doing. The point is, um, the show is really challenging to do for me and for everyone who makes this show possible week after week. But um, I don't know. Let this be like a time capsule in my life and in the show's life. But right now, I can't imagine not doing it. And, uh, well, if you enjoy the show, I I hope you continue enjoying it. And if at any point it stops being good, just send me an email. Send me an email and say, hey, look, this is no longer good. And then uh, I'll know to not do it. But until that time, uh, we're going to keep going throughout 2018 and into 2019. And we'll see where we stand at the end of it. You know, we recorded this show this week, and uh, it's a strange week to be doing this, given our family's history. I think I've mentioned it on the show, but in the uh, early 60s, my grandfather uh, came across the border from Mexico and um, started a life here. In fact, he got kicked out a handful of times and continued coming back, and my dad ended up being the anchor child that allowed my family to come here and the history is not lost on me it's not lost on my dad and without my grandfather doing the brave thing he did there is no me there is no show there's no my dad there's none of this and so um i want to thank my grandfather rest in peace for uh doing all that he did. Thank you, Sebastian. And I also want to thank my dad. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Not every father would uh, subject themselves to this line of questioning, but uh, 
you did a good job. So, finally, here is my dad. You're born 1966, September 23rd, in Chicago. Um, what is your earliest memory as a kid in Chicago? What age are you? Oh, let's see. So I have a vivid memory of I was about six years old. And my cousin Martha and I were walking back from first grade. Because by that point, we should be able to walk back home, right? You know. <laughs> so we were walking back home. And uh, in the neighborhood that I, that I grew up in, there's a lot of graffiti. I mean, it's... <clears throat> and uh, what were you know, your, a lot of... What were your cross streets? Well, um, where I grew up was 24th and, and Troy. So that is the south side of Chicago. Basically, we like to call it 26th Street. Now they call it Little Village. Uh, you know, Chicago is known for its neighborhoods. So that's just, that's one of them. So when, when you say Little Village, you know, oh, that's where the Mexicans live. There you go. <laughs> so back in the day, though, it was, it was 26th Street. And it's, it was the same thing. So my school, my grammar school, was about f three blocks just going, going straight west. So you couldn't really get lost. It was just a straight shot down, down the street. So my, my, cousin, my cousin Martha and I were both in the same grade. And uh, there's graffiti all over my neighborhood. And at that point, I could actually write my name. So I decided, well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my name on something. So when we got about a block away from the house, there, there was a church, St. Lamilla. It was on 24th and Albany. And I decided to write my name on the church. Mm. So, yeah. And, of course, my cousin Martha, uh, Catholic as she is, she went running home. And I went running after her because I knew what she was going to do. And she told my mom. Uh, well, yeah, because so you can imagine that, um, how, how that goes. You know, you know, your grandma with religion and all that. So there she is with the bucket. And the memory that I have is just me on my knees, scratching or cleaning my name off of the church. And my mom basically saying a prayer over me. <laughs> what, what was the prayer about? I'm not too sure, but it was probably a couple of our fathers, a couple of Hail Marys, all in Spanish, of course, and just basically, you know, doing a little exorcism on me, I guess. I'm, I'm not too sure, but that, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a vivid memory, and her yelling at me saying, you can't do that, and yeah, that was you know, great. It's, it, it's an interesting time for us to have this conversation, because we were going to have it a couple months ago. Mm. And, um, you know, the last couple of weeks have been, uh, you know, especially in, in, in America and, and down in Texas has been so much about the border mm. and people coming over and, and families being separated. And uh, it so directly relates to our family, you know, yeah. in, in, in the way that uh, your father, my grandfather came over. And, and I, I guess I was I was thinking about it. 
What do you remember, or rather, what would he tell you about his journey to get from Mexico to Chicago? Well, you know, my dad wasn't, when I was growing up, I, I'd always asked about those stories. I, I would always, but I, he, he would never really talk to me about them because he just felt that it was, I don't know if it was embarrassing to him. I'm not too sure. But, I, you know, I would hear him tell the stories to other people. And I mean, so I would, I would, I would take that. I would basically take the leftovers of whoever he was talking to. It wasn't until about four months before he passed that I interviewed him myself at an IHOP. And we had a conversation for the first time, really, about, about, about his experience, his journey. So I've, I've known all these stories. The bottom line is, you know, the, the first time he came over, you have to understand, he came over during the time of World War II. So everyone... All, you know, basically all the men, I can't say women at the time because it wasn't like that, um, were at war. So America said, okay, well, we can, we're going to contract people from Mexico to come up and basically work. And so my dad, my uncles, his cousins, they all came, came up back in 1942, mm. right? So they, come, they came over on, on contract and it was, and they worked all over Bakersfield. Actually, they were creating or building this railroad because they thought the Japanese would, you know, attack California, to be honest with you, at, at, at that time. So he didn't work in the fields at that time. He worked constructing uh, a railroad. Okay. So then, you know, stayed, stayed there for a couple of years. Contract was up. America said, okay, thank you, Mexicans, for your hard work and take care. But my dad, he liked it. He he liked. He saw the the possibilities, and so you know he started coming back. But of course, when he came back, it was totally illegal, mm. and he got caught uh, about I think he told me three times, and one time with one of the things that they would do back in by this point the fifties is that they would basically, they would... Uh, sh they they, 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 they marked him. They marked him. Yeah, they marked him. They would shave his head, right? So what he did was with him and his, and his cousins and, his, and his, um, my uncles, they would just stay over on the other side of the border, basically in Quadras, and just wait. Wait until the hair grew out a little bit and come on over. And, you know. it, was, it was easier back then. Right. So, but he, he would go, he would go back and forth because, you know, at that point he had gotten married also. And, you know, your, your, your uncle Juan was born and then um, your aunties were born. So the nuclear family was already created by around the middle of the fifth, by, by around 55, something like that. And then it was the, it was the whole thing of trying to bring them over. Mm. Um, but his experience was, it, it, it depended on where he was, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he would tell me about some places like, say, for example, near, near, Fres near Fresno, they would treat him pretty nice. The, the, the woman there 
who was in charge of, of the farm would uh, would give them sandwiches and and they would they would be sleeping in this it's like made up kind of tents I guess you would say um, and then other other times he was staying in like these cardboard boxes basically mm. so it, it depended on on where because they 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 would travel from you know from Bakersfield up to Fresno all along the way from even Washington State uh, with the apples and everything else so he did that for quite a while um, so he, he didn't have like it, it was more the, the people who we dealt with I think treated him fine but it was immigration that always you know gave him a hard time so he wouldn't tell you directly uh, the stories about how he got here and you would overhear them. Yes. And I, I guess what's fascinating is that every time you've talked about your childhood to me, um, mm. inside your house always seemed uh, a little cold and and scary and your, and your dad was, um, I think, distant. Is, a fair, is that a fair word to say? I, I don't know about, about distant. It was more just, you know... Look, you're you're we're here, and and of course I love you because I left everyone you know everything behind, and you know I left my parents behind. I I, I left my home, so that's what you're gonna get. Now my my dad when I was really young, he was he was very very caring. He's always been caring, but it, in his own way. When I compare myself to him, it it's very different because like we never had great conversations of like life. We never talked about sports. We never t- it, it it's different. So you know, as soon as I got out of that whole thing of wow, that's my dad, and then I became like an early teenager, and my friends were more important than anything else. That's kind of what I grasped onto. Like my, my, my childhood was filled with friends, the early, the early, the early stages before high school. So, and, uh, at what point, uh, when you're like a young kid in Chicago, yeah. you're very independent. I know you guys move around a bit. Um, at what point do you start like doing stuff for yourself? I mean, I remember you took, you yeah. know, you'd buy a, a, a newspaper, and then you would sell like a bunch of them near the train to make money. Yes. So exactly. I mean, my friends and I, this was already around age 12. I started working at 11. Just and I was I started working because I couldn't stand the the, the clothes that my my mom would, would want me to wear. So I said, "You know what? Um there's no other way of of getting better clothes, so I'm gonna, I'm going to work." And so I I started working at a TV repair shop and not repairing TVs, but actually picking them up with my friend Danny. And he was only 14, but he could drive. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, almost 12 at this point, because that was the summer before I turned 12. And I was a pretty, I was a bigger kid. We would be driving around to all these different places on the south side of Chicago, picking up, you know, TVs. Not flat screens, of course. This is the, the middle '70s, and they were they were huge. They were mm. color color consoles. Um, so that that was fun. And then 
my friends and I, every once in a while, when I wasn't working, with, they wanted to make money. We would go to, they have these boxes where you can just get uh, the Sun-Times or the Tribune. And we put like, uh, I can't even remember if it was a quarter back then. I think it was a quarter. We put a, we would go there early in the morning, about 6.30, 7.30 in the morning. Put a quarter in there. It was all full. We would basically just lift whatever was in there, about a good 20, maybe 30 papers. We would walk over to the train, which is only about three blocks away from where I, where I grew up. And then we'd take the train over to downtown. And I, my, my corner was Monroe and LaSalle, uh, about 115 South LaSalle. My friend Danny was over on uh, 55 West Monroe. My other friend was, uh, my friend Philip was over by the Xerox building on Dearborn, and we just had our spot, and we would sit, and we'd sell these newspapers, and it was great. We'd sell them in like not even 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes we, the guy would give us like a dollar for a newspaper, and we'd come out of there with a good, you know, between 10, maybe sometimes like $15, which is back then was amazing. And then from there, we'd, we'd take off, and we'd go see Bruce Lee movies for the rest of the day. And it was awesome. That 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 was that that was. We would do that at least once a week whenever we needed a little extra money. Um, and it was it was it was fun. It was it was an adventure. I I I knew nothing else, and I couldn't compare it to anything else. I mean, I absolutely loved my childhood. You know, if if we talk to some of your friends, yeah, you know, when you were a kid. What do you think they would say about you? Like, how would they describe you? Wow. I, you know, even back then, I, I, I love science. But more than anything, I, I, I love sports. Yeah, you know, I, I always, always tell this to my students, you know, because they don't really play sports, and it, it bothers me. Um, they're, you know, the only uh, exercise they do is with their hands because they're either playing a video game or they're, Snapchatting or whatever they do, um, and my my thing was, and my friends knew this. Like, if you didn't play sports, then honestly, I had no. I hate to say this, but you, I had no use for you. Like, my friends did not have any use for you. You couldn't hang with us, and that's one of the reasons why I never could get into gangs because they they sucked at sports. They couldn't hit a ball. And I had, I had no respect for anyone who couldn't do that. It wasn't because they were scary or, or oh, my God, there's a gangbanger. I, I didn't care about that. I cared about what could you do? What could you bring to, to the plate as far as playing baseball or football? Because those are the two things that we played nonstop 24-7. I mean, it was just that, that, was, that was how I filled my life. My, my friends would say that, yeah, I mean, uh, number one, um, I... Let me put it this way. I, I left my house clean, and I went back home dirty. And if I didn't come home dirty, it's because we didn't have a good day. Mm. So I was, I was a pretty dirty kid. I was, I was a city kid, um, you know, not really an attitude. I, I just had, we just very humble in a way, help each other out. I mean, you know... Not mean spirited at all. I don't. I don't. I don't remember that. Um, just trying to look out for each other. Trying not so much do the right thing because 
we didn't know what was right, what was wrong, to be honest with you. Uh, we found out the hard way sometimes. When you came home dirty, what did your parents think about you playing sports? Oh, as long as I was active and happy, then, you know, your, your grandma, your, your Mima, it was all about come home to eat. Did you eat? Are you okay? Are you still hungry? Do you want some more? Okay, go out and play. And that was it. Um, and then my dad was, you know, he would come home around five, six o'clock and I would check in. How you doing? Okay, good. All right, I'm over here. Cool. Take care. So it was very hands off. Um, you know, totally hands off. I didn't interact with my with my parents as far as like playing sports. They never saw me play sports. They, uh, um, yeah, it's, that's that's that was my that was my childhood. Basically, my friends and I we we lived for each other, and I would try to maneuver my way to. Uh, because some, some of the parents of my friends were not very nice about them going outside the way I did. Like, they didn't give, us, give them as much freedom. So I had to play the, you know, the nice kid and say, you know, please, you know, Miss Ariaga, can you let, you know, Robert come out? And, and I won the hearts of many parents, to be honest with you. <laughs> so they had no idea that I was, you know that we were going to downtown, that we were going to all these different places and, and hanging out. I mean, they, they had no clue. Um, what, did those, what did those parents think about the Warrior game? Oh, God, the Warrior game. They had no clue. The Warrior game consisted of, basically, like the movie, the Warriors had to go from Central Park back home to Coney Island, right? And on the way they would encounter all these different gangs and they would, you know, they would have to fight, fight for their, trying to fight their way, you know, whatever situation that they were under. And it, it was an adventure, right? So the way that I came up with this game was, okay, we're in downtown. Um, we'd have like a piece of paper. We'd write about maybe... Uh, basically from two to like seven and we cut them up in little pieces put it put it in a hat and then somebody would would take out the piece of paper and if the number was five well then we'd get back on the train um on the l and we would go five stops so we'd go five stops we get off the train and then we had to figure out without going back on the train no buses no nothing we'd have to walk from wherever we were Back to downtown. And in, in, that, in that whole adventure was going through all these neighborhoods, especially on the north side of Chicago, which we had no idea what that even meant because we we're, were from the south side. Um, and it was an adventure. I, we, we discovered Wrigley Field that way. We discovered the Gold Coast that way. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing. And we just walked back. Our whole thing was, where's east? Because if you were going east, you knew the lake was, near, was, was east. And then from there, you could see downtown, and we just walked back from there. But on the way, we, would always, we were always hoping 
to encounter some situation like another gang or something adventurous we can actually run <laughs> like, like the warriors um, and it was it was it was a blast I mean we my, my friends at first were a little bit they were timid about it because they had no idea where, where we were but the whole idea of getting lost that that was the idea was go and get lost and figure it out Somewhere around eighth grade, going into high school, it—I uh, it, don't know—something happened in, in you, but also in your family that said you had to leave the neighborhood that you grew up in and, and go to a different school. My aunt got into the ears of my parents and said, "No, you know, Mike's going to go to this private school." And he's going to go with his cousins, who I, I was very close to. But, you know, we, we grew up together, but we were from a little bit different worlds simply because I went to a Chicago public school and they had gone to a private school. And private school kids and public school kids were very, very different, extremely different. So they wanted me to join that ideology or that, that, that whole life. And I wasn't ready for that, and I didn't, I didn't want any part of it. But, you know, it, that was my introduction to, I guess you can say, a civilized life, to be honest with you. Because um, I, had, I, I had the experience of going to the north side of Chicago, going to downtown, and seeing how people live to a certain degree. But I, I never interacted with... I never interacted with white people. I just, I just didn't. Why, why would I? Why, how, how could I? My school was 100%, 99% um, Hispanic, Latino, Mexican. Um, there are a few African-Americans there, but that's about it. For the most part, that's all I knew. That was my life. It was a, it was a culture shock, is what it was. And even though there, was, there were Hispanics there, they weren't like me because they didn't grow up around 26th Street. They had grown up in the same kind of situation. They, basically, to be honest with you, I was the only kid in that school that came from a, 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 public, from a public grammar school. Everyone else came from some kind of, you know, St. Bede, St. Lamilla, St. Casimir, St. Saint whatever, right? And I came from John's Bry School. That's it. And, and they, they let me know about it every single time. All the time. Do you remember any sort of run-in you had with um, a priest at the school? Well, okay. So I lost a Bible freshman year, and I had to go and buy another one. I think it was like $5 or something like that. 
I had another one and that was fine. Took it to religion class and it was all good. Next thing I know, I think it was around sophomore year, all of a sudden I get called to the dean of students, the disciplinarian, Mr. Neary, um, who just by his look, you know, was already, he was pretty intimidating, this guy. And he said, um, yeah, so we, is this your Bible? I'm like, no, I, I have a Bible. He's like, well, here, why don't you go and get your Bible and bring it over here? I'm like, okay. Not really making any, any kind of connection that I lost my Bible the, the previous year, nothing. So I went to my locker, got my Bible, took it back to Mr. Neri. I'm like, here you go. So when did you purchase this Bible? He's asking me. Well, um, last year sometime. Did you ever lose a Bible? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, I did. Is this it? I'm like, okay, well, I don't know, I guess. Does it have my name in it? Yes, it does. That's why we're calling you here. I'm like, okay. Well, great. You know, I, now, now I guess I'll have two Bibles. I didn't know what, why I was with him. I don't know why I was there. All right. I knew was that this guy was just, you know, inter interrogating me, and I just, I, I, I didn't get it. Next thing you know, he's like, well, why don't you look in the back of the Bible? In the back of any Bible, there's all these, like, empty pages, basically, around six, seven, eight pages. I guess you would write notes. And in those, in those empty, empty pages, they weren't empty anymore. It was as though the devil himself had gotten a hold of my Bible <laughs> and just started, started tracing all of these horrific, you know, pictures of other teachers doing other teachers and... It was insane. I, I was like, wow, this is horrible. By, by horrific images, you mean there are photos of, uh, or illustrations of teachers having sex with other teachers? Yes. Yes. And then it was this whole thing of, you know, um, you know, God sucks and da, da 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 and penises and all kinds of nonsense. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Um, very good drawings, by the way. It was a pretty. They were they were very very um, detailed. Very 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 detailed. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, that's that's terrible. And he looked at me. He's like, yeah, well, you 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 did it. I'm like, uh, no, I I I'm what? <laughs> no, I no, I didn't. Uh, number one, I can't I can't draw. I mean, you can ask my art teacher. I can't I can I can can't even draw a stick figure, let alone these very detailed pictures. He's like, no, you did it because in this school, if you lose something, you better report it. So as far as we're concerned, you did this. And it was, it was, it was really harsh. And I kept telling them that I didn't do it. And they kept forcing me to say that I did it. And it's okay if I did it. And it was just this whole thing. And all of a sudden, Father Kikanis came in, who was actually the, the, the one who was in charge of the whole school. And he said, yep, we saw this and you did it. And I can't, I can't believe I'm very, very, very disappointed in you. I'm thinking, what the hell are you guys talking about? And I, you know, I, I was really upset. At this point, I had already gotten sick of being in this school. And I didn't give a shit anymore. And they were trying to make a point that I needed to be responsible for my things. Um, and I, I, didn't, I don't agree with it, but it's just the way it was. That, that was the culture back then. 
And so they gave me two Saturdays, that's what they call them, two Saturdays, where I had to go to a, a, an old folks home and I had to play bingo with all these old folks, which quite frankly, to be honest with you, I'm glad that happened because that really, it changed my life to a certain degree. Because the idea of giving, that was, that was one of the times where I said, wow, I'm actually making a difference. And it was like a catapult to, to other things beyond, you know, in, in my life where I thought, wow, you know, giving back and, and being a part of, uh, uh, of something is important. And the more I give, I just felt that God was going was gonna to give me something in return. Or it, it, Things would always work out for me, you know, especially the more, the more I gave. At Quigley, there were other Mexicans, like you said, but you felt, mm. it sounds like you felt uh, out of water. You know, a fish out of oh. water in some way. You know, I also, I think that I made the connection with a lot of the white kids there as soon as I took over this radio station that nobody really wanted. And I was so much into music at, at that point. And then that's where I kind of had some things in common with them. Even though musically, again, I was far way beyond where they were. They were still listening to Led Zeppelin, and I was already moving on to early R.E.M. or U2, you know, before U2 was Joshua Tree, before all that, uh, early, you know, like punk and, and things like that. And they were still listening to ACDC. So, but it was still rock, right, even though they didn't like it. I, I made those connections that way. Um, and then by the time I was a junior, I had friends from, you know, it was great. Uh, they had kicked out a lot of the assholes who were, who didn't care, I guess. And what was left over was the kids who, you know, who wanted who wanted to do something. And my my high school changed my life. And we're not having this conversation. You're not born. Um, I'm not doing what I'm doing now if I didn't go to that high school. Period. That's just the way it is. And I know that for a fact simply because all of the friends of mine that went on to Farragut High School, I think only a couple graduated high school, and two of them died through gang situations that they got into, and none went to university. So that would have been my life. So in 1984, uh, yeah. you go to college at Northwestern. You do uh, one semester of school, yeah, and then you find that uh, you know, like you, you just it wasn't for you, and so you yeah. go, you you leave Northwestern, which is only like I, 20 minutes out from Chicago, and you go back to the city, yeah. and 
you start working. Well, what is happening in Chicago when you're like 19, 20 at that time? So what was happening was that I started meeting girls for the first time. I actually had a girlfriend for the first time. I had a girlfriend about 19. So school to me was, it was important, but I had to put it on hold. And I had to just do my thing. And my thing was, I need to move out of my parents' house. And so I, my, my dad, I remember, you know, because I was coming home at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning at, at that point. Sometimes I wouldn't even show up. And, of course, in Spanish, he would, he would say to me, you know, if, if you're man enough to, to show up, you know, at 4 o'clock in the morning or not show up at all, well, then maybe you're man enough to, to leave. And he didn't say it in a way that was, like, mean. He just said, hey, what do you think? And I said, you know what, Dad, you're right, with all due respect. But, yeah, I got to go. The two jobs you had at that age, from what I remember, is that you were a bouncer at a nightclub, and then you, uh, during the day, were a, a law clerk. Yeah. So I started off in the mailroom when I was about 19. And then I bullshitted my way up to becoming a law clerk. And the reason why I say bullshit is because I said that I could do what law clerks do. And I, a friend of mine helped me put together this resume. And I jotted down basically everything, what he had on his resume. And then I went to another law firm. I said, yep, I can do all these things. I can go to court. I can file things. I know where to go. Da, 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 da. No clue as to what that meant. And they gave me the job. And so when I got the job, you know, I, I called my friend Esteban. I was like, okay, so now how do I do this job? <laughs> and then um, when I was 20, I was working at these different clubs. I started meeting all these guys. Everyone in my life at that point was older than me. I didn't back away from anything. And so I had this kind of like this attitude. So they liked that. And so they gave me these jobs working at these great clubs in, in, in downtown, um, well, there was one called The Bridge, which is pretty amazing. Everyone was wearing black at the time. I also worked a little bit at this place called 720, another place called the Park West, which still exists, but it's not a club anymore. But I, I worked at all these places, and it was always these giant lines to get in. And so these guys would pull up on, you know, with their Mercedes, and they would want their friends to come in and everyone needed to give me at least 20 bucks ahead. And next thing I know, I'm getting a hundred bucks to let them pass the line. And they had, it was fine. So I would come out of there with three, four or $500 a night. It was amazing. And we're talking about, you know, 1988 at this point, you know, it was, it was an amazing time. And, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So I, I was trying to find my niche. I, I had a hard time though. Because as, as I was working for these lawyers, I started to grow a conscious, I guess. Uh, I, I started going back to, to the times when I was at Quigley of giving back and doing things and helping out. And, and I, in my life, it was all about me. It wasn't about anything else. Uh, but between the ages of 19 and 24... 25. I mean, it was, I was extremely selfish. And that's, that's the way you're supposed to be. That, that's just the way it is. So somewhere along the line in your 20s, I know you're dating uh, a few different people. At some point, you meet my mom. Uh, run me through the first time uh, you met her. 
the first time. <laughs> well, we we worked in the same law firm, but the first time I met her, because honestly, her office was right outside of like where my little cubicle was. And so she was not very nice at the time. She was not and very s- nice? No. I mean, it was, she was, she was kind of, well, I mean, she'd be like, hey, take, take this to the, this place or whatever. I'm like, okay. I mean, she was fine, but I just always, always see her kind of like stressed out. Um, she really didn't like it there. Um, it was a very shitty law firm, to be honest with you. Then when I actually met her, met her, I was working at this club and after working there, we went to this other club, which is really famous at the time. It's called Shelter. A great, great play. I, I used to work there too. So, you know, I knew everyone there and all this other, you know, it was, it was fun. But she was in line with her, with, with her friend. And I saw Marcy. her in line. Marcy, yes. So she was in line. And I'm like, hey, I know you. She goes, hey, how are you? This and this and that. And so we were talking and I'm like, well, do you want to wait in line or you want to go in? Because I'm not waiting in line. <laughs> she, she was like, no, yeah, please. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, okay, just let's get out of here. And I went, you know, to the front and there's my friend Johnny and, and all these guys. I'm like, okay, there you go. Come on in. And they're like, do we have to pay? I'm like, nope, just come on in. And then I, I, I took them to um, this one, like, I even hate to call it VIP room, but it was a VIP room. That, 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 that's what they called it. But it was a cool place because there, like, that's where all my friends were, the bartenders. And I can get free drinks. I can, get, I can just do whatever the hell I want because I used to work there, kind of. But I worked at this other place. We all knew each other. It was a whole family of, of guys and, and girls. And it was, it was a great time. The bottom line is I, I, I got them a little, like, booth. Or not even a booth. It was, like, some chairs. And I'm like, okay, what do you guys want? And so I, I got him some drinks, and then I got him some more drinks, and that was it. We started hanging out. You know, it was the first time that I saw your mom in a different light, because she was dressed up, you know, not in her, her 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 lawyer uniform, you know, with the with the with the suit thing and everything, and she was beautiful. And I'm like, wow, look at look at you. So. And, and then, you know, it was one of those things where we started talking and for the first time we actually were talking and we, you know, it was, we had a, a nice conversation and like, you know, I, I still saw her as something, I can't say above me, but I mean, she was older than me. I mean, I, I had no clue uh, about that. I was, I was so used to going out with with girls, I wasn't used to going out with, you know, with actual woman, to be honest with you. Um, and I wasn't really used to actually going out with anyone. It was just, it's the party and whoever's there and we're having a great time and no one really cared. It was no, like this big, heavy relationship. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't want that at the time. And, um, and then I met your mom and we just, we just clicked. We just, we hit it off. How long did you two date before you proposed to her? Jeez. About a year. Do you remember how you did it? Yeah, I I do remember. I, I got this tape recorder and I had a song. 
And to be honest with you, I can't remember the song. <laughs> I, guess, I can't remember the song. But I, I played this song. It was on a tape, of course. And uh, I'm like, you know, let's, let's dance on this stage. And we were dancing. And then I, and it was like around 1 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And I proposed to her, and that was it. It was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was nice. Would you consider yourself uh, a, a romantic person at that time? At that point, I was tr- I was really understanding what it meant to be in a relationship, and it was something that I at that point I wanted, like I was open to it, and I was getting tired of everything else, and it was easy for me to to shed all of that away. And and uh, your mom told me, hey, you know, you got to shed all that away. I mean, can't have all these girls call you. I mean, it's just either, either we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. And so it was easy, like, yeah, okay, let's do this. You know, it was, it was, it was not, it wasn't like a, I, I didn't push back. You know what I mean? It was, it was easy. Because at that point, I was already 26, 25 going on 26. Right. You know, living, on, living on my own. Um going crazy for four years basically five years something like that you know she is six years older than you did that age difference um ever matter no it 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 never mattered i i just always thought and i i mean i I always admired her in that she was just so smart she was so quick so i was trying to keep up with all of that i i never really met anyone like her because you know, like I said, I was so used to, you know, these girls from the club and just having a good time. And it, it, it wasn't very difficult. The conversations didn't go too deep. Just you know why. Why you and I will buy and buy no Sometimes we'll sigh Sometimes we'll cry And we'll know why Just you and I know true love why Throughout the day So she says yes. You guys get married. Um, <clears throat> you are twenty five, turning twenty six. Uh, yeah. Was I a, a planned kid? Oh God, yeah. I mean, you were planned so much that you can. I mean, you can ask your mom. She she cut out a picture of a baby, and I I still have that picture. I'll show it to you when you come to Chicago. <laughs> um, it, it was from some magazine or from, I don't know where it was from, but it's black and white. And she wrote on there, she wrote, think baby. And she put it on the fridge. And if you look at the picture and you look at you at about two or three or four months old, Jesus, it was that, I mean, that was, it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> when you're 26 and you guys find out that she is pregnant, did you feel ready at that age to have a kid? All of the things that I needed to do 
as, as a young person, I did it and I wasn't missing it. You know, that year of shedding away all these things, all these friends, girls, whatever, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't difficult because I was ready. You know, you weren't born when I was 21 and then I still wanted to hang out at the club. That's not, that didn't happen, thank God. It wasn't difficult to leave your friends? No. No, because I was already getting tired of the life. Um, I was getting tired of, you know, I mean, you got to understand, Sam, that here I am living in downtown. Friends were coming over all the time. I had a buddy of mine who had keys to my place. He'd have his own phone line there so he could talk to different girls because at the time there was no, no cell phones. It was just, it was crazy. I mean, and and I just saw how this was going on, how people were getting hurt, and how people were trying to use me to a certain degree. Or they were just, they wanted to know me because I can get them into some place or whatever. And I was getting tired of it. I was hitting a wall. And then all of a sudden, you know, I meet your mom. So it was it was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm like ready for something else. And something else happened to be, you know, you being born. What happens between you and my mom in the 12 months of her pregnancy? We became friends. But you, but you, tra- you transitioned from being romantic partners to being friends. Yeah. And it was, it was not a bad transition. We, we just became friends. We were just better at being friends than anything else. And... You know, that's why there there isn't all of this resentment and this bad divorce kind of thing. You know, all this nonsense of, you know, I'm going to get you kind of that, that whole we didn't have that conversation. And you saw it growing up. I mean, it was amazing the way the way you grew up where the eagles were gone and you never saw us fighting and things like that. You know, we, it, it didn't happen. I was welcome in your house. Um, she was welcome in our house and it was all good. You know, I, I had no, I had no, no issues with it. Yeah. At first it was, you know, the, the thing about the divorce, cause we had gotten divorced a year before your first birthday. Right. Um, I think the only resentment I had was that, because I had a, I had my condo, but I was living with her because her place was a little bit bigger, and actually was much bigger because you were born, so we couldn't go back to my little one bedroom. But I had, I had rented it out, and I had a lease, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get that guy out, and I had signed the lease in August, and about the middle of August, your mom's like, you know what? I think I want a divorce. I'm like, Jesus, I could have went back to my place, <laughs> but I didn't, I, I couldn't. So that, that was the big thing. And then the other, I mean, the, the, obviously the other big thing, it wasn't because I was going to miss her, but the whole thing of you, like it all became about you. Like, okay, I, now I'm, now I'm going to be a dad and that, and that's what I want to be. I didn't care about any, anything else. And I remember your mom at the time was running a lot. She was working a lot, which meant that I could be a dad. 
and we would hang out. I mean, I would, I would take you all over the place. And it came a point, to be honest with you, because I kind of knew where the relationship was going to a certain degree. Where I'm like, yeah, I can, I can, I can do this. This is fine, because, you know, romantically it wasn't happening anymore, and and we were just friends, and so it was, it was just, it just, it was just progressed into something else. Um, you know, twenty something years removed, though. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're far away from it now. Yeah. So so it's it's easier to say that things turned out okay and that they were fine and that there's not a lot of resentment. And I'm not trying to find the resentment because I don't I don't I don't believe there is. But you know, I I am interested in how two people fall in love and then find themselves falling out of love and what that feels like at that point in your life. Um. You know, it, it, it just, for those two years um, that your mom and I were together, because really, I mean, yeah, I, I guess we were together for close to two and a half years. I can't even remember, I'll be honest with you. Um, we just started transforming our relationship into a friendship, like right away. And it was a really good friendship. And I accepted that role. So I, 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 it's hard for me to, to put a finger on it, like where did it go wrong? But I think that the, the age difference, of course, you know, had, had a lot to do with it. Me wanting to be a teacher and not a lawyer had a lot to do with it. What does that mean? She, well, because she, she wanted, you know, more security. She wanted, you know, it was, we, we, we wanted different things. And at the time, I mean, being a teacher wasn't exactly, you know, wasn't paying all that well. I'm okay now, but at the time it was, it was, you, you did it because for different reasons. You we weren't doing it because of the pay. And it's, it's a true statement. So I, I think that her looking at me going back to school and really embracing this whole thing of teaching and also going to school that night didn't help. You know, I, I, was, I was never, we weren't really together. And I was doing my thing. She was doing her thing. And so we kind of outgrew each other. Like she went in her way. And I was going in a totally different way. My mindset was totally different. Me losing you, that was my constant fear. For years. For years. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to lose that. And I had to... I had to build this relationship with your mom so that it was cool. Like, yes, we could talk to each other. Yes, I will hear you out about whatever situation you're you're going you're going in. And so the friendship continued. It was strained, obviously. It was different. It was a different dynamic to it, but it was still there. I mean, every once in a while we'd we sit around and talk about stuff. It was Mm. And it, it was nice. Why don't we stop fooling ourselves? The game is over, over, over. No good times, no bad times. There's no times at all, just the New York Times. Sitting on the windowsill 
So I move in with her as a yeah. kid. She gets remarried. You get remarried. What do you remember about me being a kid between the ages of like five and ten? Oh God! Yeah. Was was I just a, a complete pain in the ass? No. No, 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 no. No, I mean, it's. Can I? I use the word perfect. I guess it's. Uh, I guess I. Well, I guess I can say per. Look, perfect. Uh, you know, what the, it, it, what, the hell, what the hell are you talking about? Perfect. Well, it, it, see, you Get have to the, understand something, Sam. You have to understand something. Out here, damn you, 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 you love sports. I love sports. You like music. I like music. We started getting into all these different movies. It was it was great. It was amazing. You didn't you weren't this little, you know, kid who was like number one, you weren't a mama's boy, which that thank God, because that, that would not have worked out with me. See, actually, um, I actually I, I think I did turn into one. Um, maybe later on in your life, but around me, you know, you would fall. All right, get your ass up and let's go. Okay, let's go. I mean, you, you weren't a whiny ass kid. I, I, it was, it was great. You were, you were, you were, you were a boy, man, and it was awesome. And and, you know, no, it, it was. Uh, I don't remember a time where like, oh man, this kid's a pain in the ass. No. But for a long time, I felt like maybe until eleven or twelve, I really believed that. I wanted to play basketball, like professionally. That's what I thought I wanted to do. Oh yeah. And I and I feel like I trained quite a bit to do that. Yeah. No, you you, you did. And but see, my thinking was, I'm I'm not going to tell you, hey, at eleven, you're never going to make the NBA. What are you nuts? I you couldn't do that. It was more like, hey, let's let's get you to the best place that you can be. Let's get you to be the best player that you can be. Physically, you know, with your attributes, whatever, whatever you had. And then that way you can compete and have a good time because you didn't want to be, I didn't want you to be that kid who was the kid at the, at the end of the bench. That's, or the kid who gets picked last. You, I didn't, I didn't want that for you. And so I trained just as hard with you. Plus the fact, you know, it was fun. So I and we we did that with everything. As as soon as you got out of basketball and you were, I mean, you were into baseball too, uh, to a certain degree, and we we worked on that a lot, and that was a lot of fun for me. Um, but as soon as you got into gaming, okay, well then, okay, well let's let's do that a little bit, you know. So it was always whatever you were into, we kind of try to support it. And then, and then we just let, let, let's see what happens. You know, since I lived with my mom most of the time, the arrangement that we had was that I would, I, I, you know, I stayed at your house every other weekend. Um, but I, I, would, I would see you a lot more than that because of yeah. sports and you would come over for school. But I want to go back to something pretty specific, which is, you know, on Friday after school, 
uh, you would pick me up at my house. Yeah. And um, I'd go and I'd spend the weekend there. And then on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, you would drive me back to my mom's house. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's... it's uh, Um, you know, it, it's a distinct, it's a distinct activity to have to, to do that. And I always wondered what would be in your head when you drove back home after dropping mm. me off on Sundays. Oh God. I would have to leave with a smile because I didn't want you to feel you know, any kind of pain. So it was like, I remember when you were going to, um, what is that called? Preschool. <laughs> and you didn't, you didn't want no part of preschool. And I would drop you off. And I remember the teacher telling me, and even your mom told me, listen, you drop them off. You say, hey, kid, it's going to be okay. And I'll see you later with a big old smile. And you walk, you walk out and you would bite your tongue and you would swallow your, your instincts to like want to go back and give you another hug and say, no, it's going to be okay. That I couldn't do that. And I knew that if I did that, that would cause a lot of problems. Because there were when you were when you were really small, you did not it's not that you didn't want to stay with your mom, but you you had some hard times when I left. And I I know that. And yeah, it was it was hard for me. I mean, I, I would get in my car and I would I almost broke my hand a couple of times <laughs> hitting the steering wheel, you know. It was it was really difficult for me. But you I had I had to do that um, because I knew that if I didn't do it the right way, then I was going to hear about it. And because there is a right way or a wrong way of doing it. Because eventually you did get used to it, I guess. I mean, you you had to. There wasn't there was no there was nothing else that we could do. And this is the reason why. Hey, you want to coach basketball? Hell yeah, I'm going to coach basketball. You want to be a, a, a coach for, uh, for baseball? Of course I'm going to be the third base coach for baseball. Of course I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to... You want to go on vacation? Of course you can stay with me for you know, a week and a half or whatever. It was always... I was always open to anything and everything. I, I didn't care. And so that's how the relationship was created. And so, I mean, if you think about it, you know, when your brothers were born... I mean, I was big daddy to them because that's how, that's how great the relationship was. They would come over and stay at our house, and it was cool. Parker and Nate, was, they were part of my family, and, you know, it was great. There was no, like, it had to be that way because there is no other way. In order for you to grow up in a situation where it was normal, as normal as it could possibly be. Well, at, at 13... Uh... You know, I, I've talked about it on the show before, yeah. but I moved in with you for the first time while mom moved out to California with uh, Parker and Nate. 
Yep. And it was really, I mean, the first time that we were living together uh, day to day. And I, I imagine that was like something you were excited about. What, what do you remember about that time? Well, I was, I was, I was very excited about it. You know, I was like, okay, this is going to be great. I get to do what, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Sam. I mean, when you were growing up, you were with me a lot. I mean, in one way or another, but this, the day-to-day thing, the every morning, the breakfast thing, the whole thing, that was, I was looking, I was looking so forward to it. And it was good, but again, you were 13 and then 14 because you were there for basically a year and a half, almost two years. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a year and a half, it was close to two years, but you were so into, at that point, really into gaming and with your friends. And I had to take a back seat to that and kind of, okay, you need a monitor. Let's get a monitor. You need a, a, a the space, but let's create the space. And that's how we created that giant room. You had a really cool, you know, area where your friends can come and trying to build this this thing for you so you can feel comfortable. Basically, I was just trying to make you feel comfortable. And it wasn't because out of guilt. It was just because that's all I knew. And then every once in a while, we, we'd have those really cool moments of, hey, let's, let's go and let, let's watch a show. That's when we're looking at or watching movies and shows became our thing. I think not having your mom around and... I think you were going through your own thing. Maybe there was some, you know, some some resentment you had in in in, a, in you um, because of the situation. And I and I kind of can see it now because of how you missed so much your former house. I remember, you know, like not even like four or five years ago, you wanted to go back to that house so bad that you wanted to go inside and. And I could see it when you were like really adamant about like, I got, you know, we got to go in there, dad. And, uh, and I remember we actually, we were around it and stuff. Right. And I could see how much you really needed that because you had built this, 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 it was like the first time you actually felt like you were in a house because before that you were in Elmhurst and you were in this apartment and then this other like house apartment situation. And then finally you were in your own house you know, with your mom for, for years and you lost that. And, uh, I remember right before you went into high school, we, we went to the, to the last sixer camp. You remember that? Yeah. That was, that was a bad time. Um, because the way we set it up, just people don't, don't know, uh, was that before sixer camp started, like if it started on a, on a Friday, we would get to New York on a Wednesday and we would hang out in New York for a couple of days before I took you to camp. And I loved that because we went to Yankee Stadium, you know, we, we went to Central Park and we'd hang out. But that, that last year we did that. I was so excited. I'm taking you to the Brooklyn Bridge. We're going to go see a Met game. We're, right before Shea Stadium was, was going to be, you know, knocked down. And you just didn't give a shit. <laughs> you just didn't right. care. It was, I'm like, this is the Brooklyn Bridge, don't you understand? And you're like, all right, dad, this is stupid. I'm like, oh my God. You know, yeah. it, 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 it lost its luster, you know, the whole thing. And I just felt so bad. What did you, what, what did you feel? I didn't feel like I was losing you, but 
I didn't know, you know, I, I wasn't there to be entertaining you. I, I was, look, the bottom, when you were a kid, it was like, I'm having a good time doing this. What do you think? You're like, I'm having a good time too. So it was all good. Hey, we're going to a cup game now. All right, dad, let's go to a cup game. We're having a good time. You know, you, you know what I mean? It was like you were accepting of everything. And the, for the first time, you weren't accepting of anything. Not even well, anything that was really uh, even uh, fun. This, this seems pretty obvious to me. Why do you think that was? You were a teenager. You were 13. No, but there <laughs> is a difference between day-to-day and four times a week, three times a yeah, week. Yeah, I, I, I had to be a hard-ass every once in a while. And, and I think uh, I think you're better. I think you enjoyed. I mean, who wouldn't enjoy your role? Was not it was better. It was the role of like being my friend. You know, th- th- there were times. I mean, you you remember um, where I, I had I had to be hard on you. Um, not to the point where I mean, I, I never spanked you. I don't think I ever punished you. I never did like a timeout. I, I don't I don't do all that shit. But it was more just like a, a hard talk, kind of the same way that I treat my students. You know, when things got out of hand. You just have, you you got to put a firm hand on the situation, and you were kind of you were used to it, but at the same time, I didn't I didn't like that role, and I, I agree with you hundred percent. I didn't I, I don't I don't play it well with you. Um, Why is that? Uh, it just because when you were younger and you lived away. How could you come over the weekend and then I'm getting on your case about stuff? We only got, you know, 72 hours. Every hour has to be filled with something other than sleeping. So it, it had to be right. It had to be fun. It had to be something cool. I mean, believe me, we, we prepare for your times when you would come. And even when, when I would go over there, we were going to do something. You know, it wasn't going to be like, all right, Sam, well, come on over and guess what? I got to work on the house right now or I got to do this and that and uh, I'm going to leave you with a sitter. That shit didn't happen. That, that, that just that never happened. If we're going to go somewhere, we're all going. And it was, you know, it's almost the same way now with, with, with Maya. I mean, with your sister, it's like it, we have to do things. It's not so much to keep them entertained, but to so we can all have fun. And then there came a point where you wanted to have, you know, you wanted to have your own fun with your friends, which was great. And I, and I, I had to take a back seat and it was okay. At the end of our year and a half, I moved uh, to California with my mom to join them. And it was in August. It was in August. I started school a few weeks after that in mm-hmm. Clovis. And uh, I took the earliest flight possible on a day I don't remember, but I remember that it must have been a 6 or 7 a.m. flight because we did not sleep the night before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as as we were packing up, you gave me this note that I still have, that it's been in every safe, in every apartment I've ever moved in, in every place I've lived. Um, and you wrote this note, and I'm going to read. Oh, boy part of the note now which I'm sure you're looking forward to Uh. (laughs) Um, Sam in the last few months I've been searching for the right words to express how I feel every day the words seem to change but the one thing that holds true is that I love you very much 
I'll always be there for you in the good times and the bad. Please don't change. Always be true to yourself and never let others make you feel that you're not able or capable of doing something. I never thought about writing you a letter saying goodbye because I know that soon we will see you again. I'm so proud of you. Please don't think that what happened at school this year made me feel less proud. It's not always about academics. I'm proud of the person that you are becoming, the person that has a heart and compassion for yourself and your family. I've tried, not always in the right way, to be the best father possible. You know that it's difficult for me to hide my feelings. I say what I feel, and sometimes it's cost me because I hurt others at the expense of me trying to justify myself. Hmm. I'm sorry if I hurt you in any way. It was never my intention. Sometimes I've wanted more for you than I've ever wanted for myself. I know that I could have been a better father, but like everything in my life, I'm always learning as I go along. Know that I will do my best to be there for you. You can always count on me when times get difficult or when they are great. Go with the idea you are now starting a new chapter in your life. I know you're afraid, but know that you're not alone. Your family is always with you. I love you, Dad. Now, I can't imagine when you wrote that letter that you would have to hear that recited to you back on a podcast for people. <laughs> I mean, I've been looking forward to it for 10 years. Um, no, not in a million years. But yeah, that, that sounds like that sounds like no, I, I remember writing that. Yeah, I, I cried. What were you thinking about when you were writing that? I don't know. I just uh, trying to find the words that that made sense. Trying to find the words that that, that you could hold on to because at that point I had already given you what I could give you, and I had to trust that. You know, the way that I was trying to bring you up was the right way, always being the example. And, you know, there was a part of me that, that knew you were going you were going to a good place because your mom, you know, she had her, her she she had it together. And so I I trusted where you were going and I was okay with that even though i didn't know how the that whole thing was going to was going to work out i i just knew i was going to miss you and that was but i knew i had i had to let you go because that was the right thing to do so me writing all that i remember i mean i yeah i it was really really difficult it took me jesus at least two hours to put it together. Not because I was trying to find the words, but because I didn't know how to write it so that you didn't feel bad. Like, I didn't want you to feel my pain. Why not? You know what I mean? Um, no, it's not It's not right. It's not. You. You already had enough on your shoulders... You already had enough. You, you didn't need my, like, 
there's like a guilt, I guess, leaving someone behind. You didn't need that. Again, it's like leaving you in preschool, you know? Hey, go and have a good time. You're going to be fine. Da 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 da. I'll see you later. With a big thumbs up, right? With a big smile on my face. That's that's how it needed to happen. Because you know, it's not because I didn't want you to hurt, but you didn't need my my pain. Um you're you're 14 at that time. That's that's not what you do as a dad. But again, just like everything, I I had to accept it and I had to I had to know that you were in a good place and you were. You know, your mom had promised me that that things were going to work out for the best and and she was right. wanted to ask you about this you know from afar what what the hell do you make of my life at this point give me like an honest give me an honest assessment of how you feel about it well you know people ask me so how how sam doing and the answer is always he's doing great he's doing what he wants to do which is what he's doing right now he's living the life of trying to figure out where he's going to be in this life, in this in this whole grand scheme of things, I guess. And all I could do is support it. I can give ideas. I can... The only, the only thing that I can give you at this point is, hey, start saving money. So I'll throw, you know, a financial advisor at you, which is one of my best friends. You know, things like that. I, I, I can't... I can't be this this dad anymore with with that that situation you're doing what you what you have to do right now and i'm so proud of it i'm so like yeah i, I tell everyone yeah he, he just interviewed so and so you know he's gonna have this guy on you know on the show and then sometimes they're like who is it i'm like so i show him the picture oh that's okay that guy okay great so and they always ask me about what what's the dynamics of the show how you know how it is and i, I tell them and it's it's um and I tell me yeah, you you know you you write for all these magazines and da 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 da, and you're living the life and that's exactly what you what you need to do, that's exactly what you have to do, and uh, it's 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 cool it's cool to watch I'm I'm having a great time watching it. What do the next ten years of your life look like? Just trying trying to be an example. Um trying to be the best the best at everything as far as being the best friend the best spouse the best dad the best teacher 
And then when I retire, I want to still do what I do as far as helping people and, and, and just being a part of this, of this whole grand scheme of things. Because right now, I mean, this world is so, so messed up, you know, I mean, we, we, we've lost our souls to a certain degree. And I just, you know, if I could just be that, that drop in that ocean that makes a difference to a lot of people, then that could, that, that's great. You know, I think about, you know, when you die, I mean, I think a lot of old people have a lot of resentment because they have, or they, they're very like, like very mad or angry or that angry old man kind of guy, because they have all these resentments of things that they didn't do. And I'm not just talking about traveling. I'm talking about just being, being a human. And, and then by the time you're 70 or 80, you, you get it like, oh shit, I, I should have. I should have helped out. I should have been a part of these people's lives. I, I really love the movie. It's a Wonderful Life. And I, I, I don't have to be that character to realize that I've had a really good life. And I know that I've changed a lot of people's lives. And, but I know that I, I, it's going to be easier for me to walk away from teaching because I'll always have those memories. But I always have, but I have something else to do. And it's it's going to be fine, because I know how how to give without asking for anything, because I know that God or whatever force you know you want to get into is is gonna is gonna is gonna help me or guide me in in the, in the right direction. I mean, what not rate me, but I mean, you asked me if if I thought I was a good dad. I mean, do you do you think I was a good dad? You know, you and I are very different in a lot of ways, and we're very similar in, in other ways. I, I think that's probably true of most parents and their kids. Um, if I'm answering it honestly, I mean, you know, you, you, you were a great dad. You've been a great dad. I mean, I, I, you know, um, that's not hard for me to answer that question. I, I, I think yeah. here's the thing. The only thing I feel bad about, really, is that I am definitely more dysfunctional than you are. Like, mentally, I'm more dysfunctional than you are, if we're being real here. Because you, you, you are much healthier uh-huh. than I am. And I admire that you, you've gotten, you know, that you've grown to that place. Also, I sometimes feel bad because you listen to the show maybe more than anyone. And... The amount of times that you've heard me on this show with strangers saying things that I can't imagine are easy for you to hear. Well, if you if you think about it, in all the hundred episodes that I've, well, 99, that I've listened to, I've never called you and said, what the hell, what, what happened? What happened here? Why did you say that? I don't think I've ever done that. I just I, I it's 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 true you haven't and I've always no. wondered how why aren't you no. saying something no because because you you have to live it and there there comes a point where you have to say hey at two o'clock in the morning or something hey you know I'm going through this what do you think that has to come internally. I can't can't force it. 
And I think the parents who force things on on their there's that's not good. You know, I can only ask, "How are you doing? Are you okay?" And then if something comes out of that, well, then great. But if you want to keep it, you know, not at a distance, but at a, at a point where it's like, "Hey, listen, I got this." Then then you then you get it and do something about it. I have to let you cross the streets, Sam. I didn't want to when you were younger, but you are crossing the street. You are doing your thing, and I I have to let you, you know, mess up every once in a while. I can only if you come to me, ask me, hey, what do you think about this situation? And you have, then I I will give you one hundred percent of my of my of my attention and also my input. But when I hear things, and I'm just like, okay, he's going through this, okay. Let's see how how he works it out. And it's okay. Um, I'm concerned, of course, always, because I'm a parent. That, that that's what you do. And I, I can't wait to your dad. And it's not because I want to be a grandfather. I don't I don't really care about that. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. But I, I think you're gonna be you're gonna be really good at it. Not not now. Not even in the next five years, maybe. But I think that's, you're going to see, it's amazing. It's really, really cool. It's a lot of fun. Well, I, I um, appreciate you letting me cross the street. And uh, more importantly today for uh, coming on the show, episode 100. Episode 100. Here's to uh, 100 more, maybe. Thanks for having me on. It was... Uh... It was an adventure. It was fun, easier than I thought. But at the same time, it's. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a nap now. That was exhausting. Great. Go take a nap. Um, maybe we'll do a uh, hundred more episodes after this one. Most definitely. Special thanks this week to, uh, you know, every single person who has listened to the show in the last uh, 100 episodes. I don't imagine we get here without uh, your support. And so I ask once more, if you enjoyed today's episode, if you've enjoyed this show over the last 100, consider sharing it on social media with a friend, a loved one, someone you don't talk to much anymore. Maybe it'll help. I also want to thank my dad for coming on the show. It was not easy for him, and I promise we won't have him back until episode uh, three or four hundred. We'll, we'll do another one around that time. As always, this podcast is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer for the last time is Valerie Ettenhofer. I want to give a shout out to Valerie. 
She has been with the show for over a year and um, she has made it possible week after week. We will miss her as she does uh, other creative endeavors. Much love to Valerie. The show is produced by Dylan Peck and I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy Now and Forever. We will be back after the holiday weekend starting on July 15th and uh, here's to 100 more. Have a great week, everyone. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.